Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Walker Near and Brett Lendley. I'm Walker, and today we discuss a collection of loosely connected titles and developers that have managed to stay with us since childhood. We also compare and contrast fantasy and sci-fi through games, movies, and miniatures. Hey, what's up, Brett? What's got you picking up your sticks this week? Hey, man. How's it going? I, uh, I've been doing something a little bit different this week. So I, I mean, I played a little bit of Graveyard Keeper, but that's just kind of same old, same old. I haven't made a huge amount of progress on it because I've, I've not put that much focus or attention into gaming this last week. But I did uh, take a, a little bit of a trip back down memory lane, and I, I have... I have a couple of friends that uh, that are pretty big into like BattleTech and the BattleTech universe and stuff, and uh, it reminded me of a game that I have wanted to talk about for a long time because it was one of my first real big video gaming experiences. But to get back in and kind of understand it, I just started googling it to make sure I had like the name right. Did I remember this? Was this all a dream? I don't know. It was ages ago, and I was a young kid. And found that I could play it in a browser because the full version of the game was 14 megabytes and could be live streamed in full and then played. You could actually unplug from the internet and play it after it downloaded because there's 14 megs, but you didn't have to download it on your computer. Anyway, all of that is to say I played Earth Siege this last week. So I don't think I I don't think I'm actually familiar with Earth the Siege. I don't think I ever played that. I played Star Siege Tribes. Okay, so like same back in the day. Yeah, same universe, different okay. game. Um, okay. and I actually learned. So I, I ended up learning a lot in this foray through my gaming adventure. <laughs> but uh, Earth Siege is it's it, so it's part of what's called the Metal Tech universe, and. Uh, it, it, it kind of all. I'm not sure if it started. I think it started with the first Earth Siege game, which was one of the first games, not the first, but one of the first like action games that I got to play on PC. Mm. Um, it's not really a first. It's a first person, but it's like a cockpit view. It's very much so a BattleTech game, except BattleTech is owned by. An, uh, we won't even get into like Ralpartha miniatures and whatever. Oh, but, BattleTech is the like is like um like Mech Warrior. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And but Earth Siege was my introduction into that. So a lot of people played like BattleTech. One of the original things BattleTech was was a board game. It's like a hexagon based tabletop war miniatures game. But my introduction to all of that was through MetalTech's Earth Siege, which essentially like uh, humans made AI. AI took over, a la Terminator style, except instead of humanoid terminators they built giant war mechs and so you're you know thousands of years or hundreds of years whatever and they're trying to retake earth and you're the last bastion of hope against this ai as it comes back to to retake earth because it's already taken over all the colonies in the outer fringe or whatever it's basically a mech warrior style game it's a cockpit view uh with 3d models um and i think it was so the the first Metal Tech Earth Siege game was 1994. Okay, so wait, I, I'm I'm a little yeah. confused. So, no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> this is Metal Tech. Metal and Tech. Also Battle Tech. No, so Battle okay. Tech is 
is Mech Warrior and everything else. But I was my it's kind of like you're introduced to Sonic through Mario, like okay, kind of thing. Okay. That's how it. So the concept of like a mech, suit right? Of mech, yeah. I gotcha. didn't like we didn't have cable, so I didn't have Gundam or Robotech or yeah, no, never any of that. that stuff was way later for me. Even though the, a lot of it was still in the eighties. Metal or, or Earth Siege was my first, was my my foray. So I was ten when Earth Siege came out, and and that's when we got it. We got it on release, and it was originally developed by company Dynamics or Developer Dynamics, which was part of and published by Sierra Online. Mm. But Sierra wasn't really on the cover. It was Dynamics was the studio, but Sierra was a huge part of my childhood. I did not realize that Dynamics was a huge part of my childhood, which we'll kind of enter into this weird foray of things that I learned that I wasn't aware of when they happened. Anyway, mm. I played some Earth Siege. It was kind of difficult to play because the resolution is like 640, um, and playing on a 27-inch monitor made everything really grainy and fuzzy. <laughs> oh, right, right. In in a in a web window, right? <laughs> oh, because you're playing in a browser, right, right? Right, so I played in a browser on a, a high-def monitor, but it was still, and like, I didn't even, I didn't go into the options to see the keys or anything, and it's a, a MechWarrior games, or any style of mech game, especially of the 90s, were very keyboard intensive, because you had like, forward backward turning acceleration and braking but then you also had the upper torso could move up down left right spin in a circle so you could walk in one direction and like a tank turret kind of turn to one side and shoot up or down while you're moving in a different direction and yeah, you have some... oh sorry go oh ahead. no yeah i was just gonna say there was some you're talking about the complicated keyboard setups there was some game for the original xbox um that i'll, I'll google or something in here in a second but i don't know the name of it but that there was a console game, but there was a mech game, and came with some really complicated. I think that it was... wasn't a, it wasn't a QWERTY keyboard. I don't. No, think. if I remember, there's one game that I remember, and I, I, the name I'm gonna have wrong, like Iron Hands or Iron Warriors or something. But it had like a two hundred dollar controller, but I thought it was for the PlayStation, and used both controller ports. Huh. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, and yeah, see yeah. While while we're going, but anyway, go, so, go yeah. on. I just it made me think of that. So. <laughs> it, I was able to just fumble around on the keyboard playing through the first couple of missions and actually like was able to get the turret control up. And like, I remembered weapon linking and you've got to, you've got shields so you can transfer power back and forth to the, the forward shield or the rear shield. You've got squad mates that are with you uh, that you can communicate and give commands to like attack my target or stay back or move to the next checkpoint without me or, or whatever. So there's just a huge number of commands, and I actually just kind of fell back into it. I was surprised at how quickly. Now, I mean, I had a joystick. I very, I contemplated pulling my joystick out of the closet to to play more, um, and I might if I go back because apparently the sequel you can play online as well, which was a much better game. It handled a lot better, mm. but I didn't quite do that because I only played through like the first mission or so. But it was just it, it brought back so much because it, it was a fully voice acted game. Um, and it had actors, but they were, it wasn't like a wing commander where it was like full video. Mm -hmm. They were, they had actors, but then those were digitized a lot more mortal Kombat. 
then yeah, yeah. yeah so like the mouth movements would be like two frame three frame animations and they were pixelated but they were real people that had dressed up for the part or whatever um but it was just a, a really awesome kind of jump back in time and the fact that i could play it uh i was really excited about that and and i went and looked i was like well why is this playable apparently the metal tech universe uh licensing was later purchased by um so all of dynamics which was part of sierra was then purchased or bound into vivendi which was also part blizzard right yeah blizzard was a subsidiary of vivendi okay. which i didn't actually know until the activision blizzard merger happened and right. i was like i was like well that sucks i didn't know that blizzard was going to be, you know, was in a position to be bought out like that or whatever. Right. But it turns out that it wasn't in their control because they're just, again, a subsidiary of this larger public right. company, Vivendi. So. so so Dynamics was part, or, or they were their own developer, but then they later just kind of came under the Sierra umbrella because Sierra published almost all of their games. And then Sierra came under Vivendi, which then came under ActaBlizzard as part of that merger. Gotcha. Um, but the Metal Tech universe, the licensing went to Hi-Rez Studios. And that was kind of where, when, when I brought this up and was looking at the Metal Tech universe, because there are a ton of games that I didn't realize I played almost all of that were all part of the same universe. And I thought they were all awesome games, but they were all different games. But when I realized that they were all part of the same universe and I saw a very specific game in that listing that I was like, oh, that's high res, which would be Tribes Ascend. Mm -hmm. I had to ask you because I was like, I remember playing a little bit of Tribes, but I was like, have you ever played Tribes or Tribes Ascend? Yeah, so I played the original Tribes, which I think is called Star Siege Tribes, mm -hmm. maybe. I played that. And was there even a second one of those? Uh, no? There were a few. So there was Star Siege Tribes, then Tribes 2, which is the one I played. Then there was Tribes Aerial Assault, which I didn't remember. Uh, Tribes Vengeance, which I didn't remember and then tribes ascend is the most recent one and that's the one that's by high-res studios right right yeah in the late 90s mid 90s i played one of the tribes it, it might have been tribes too i honestly don't really remember that well um but it was the first time i had ever played and and on it might be i mean it's kind of like my first mmo experience almost i mean it wasn't an mmo because the games were probably 15 on 15 or 10 right. on 10 or something. I don't know what the numbers were. So it wasn't like it was this huge, massive amount of people. But I, I mean, like I, I'm trying to think of prior to that, what else I would have played online. Like I played a little bit of red alert, but that's obviously one right. on one. And it was, it was via dialing into <laughs> local people's phone number via right. dial. You know what I mean? I didn't, I, so there wasn't like a server. There's no lobby that you, yeah. yeah. And there may have been that I just, like, back in the day, a lot of games used to use, like, GameSpy, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And there was some other website that basically, there's probably multiple, but basically there were websites that acted as multiplayer lobbies for games that didn't natively have them. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because the guy who introduced me to Tribes is someone I've known my whole life, but he is not an avid gamer. I mean, we played video games together as kids a bit, but the fact that he had that game on pc and he might have even had it on mac because i think he had a mac the whole time oh wow but and actually if you remember we talked about it in an episode or two ago we talked about syndicate yeah um, yeah 
and he's actually the same guy that introduced me to syndicate which okay. is also it's just funny because he's not like i mean again you know he's a gamer but he plays like madden and you know gta and, and mainstream kind of releases if you will or right. really big popular titles not devoting a lot of yeah whereas like syndicate and tribes and maybe maybe back then you know the, it was a different world in gaming but like it those are kind of niche weird games to a little bit i would say that the tribes like especially like tribes 2 um Mm -hmm. was i mean that's that was a huge game as far as kind of like you said now it's a first person shooter um Mm -hmm. it is not a mech style game um but it it had a lot of things like the skiing and the jetpacks and a lot of fast movement and it was early in the genre of like you said high number of player multi-person shooters and mm-hmm. it was also kind of, you know, adored for the large battlefield. I mean, this is before Battlefront uh, yeah. or anything that had a large multiplayer battlefield where people were taking. I mean, it was the Battlefront or the Star Wars Battlefront of the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I would say it's my first. Again, I don't really know what phrase to use, but any other shooter that I had ever played multiplayer would be like golden eye split screen i was gonna say perfect dark or yeah or even halo and now halo on the original xbox i never did this but i had buddies that would go to events and like network xbox chain up xboxes yep yeah so then you could have pretty big multi i think it was still limited to like 16 maybe 32 i i doubt 32 is pushing that's a lot of xboxes (laughs) i mean that's what modern call of duty that's fair i think it was 16 would be four xboxes so right yep yep that's true um but anyway yeah so so i played that and then yeah in 2012 and i don't know if i played it at launch but around that time which is when tribes of sin came out um i picked it up and played it with another buddy of mine um we never played it like like you know, religiously or anything. I mean, we didn't get super, super into it, but we would play once in a while. And yeah, like there's just nothing, there's no other game that I've ever played that at least first person um, that captures the sense of speed and just kind of fun moving around. Like capture the flag is obviously a very fun game and popular game type in all sorts of games, but in tribes it's like, just the fact, just just trying to run around in and of itself is fun. Right. So having a game type where you're chasing people constantly or running from people, you know, whichever it is. Um, it was, had yeah. a, a lot of unique movement stuff in an era when that wasn't a, a thing. Like there wasn't wall running and mm-hmm. jet packing and the skiing was a huge. Because like I remember seeing videos of people making just ridiculous shots with sniper rifles or rocket launchers from across the map to somebody who's moving at like 200 miles an hour down a, a hill and then jumps off and jetpacks and somebody snipes him out of the air. It's just like it, ridiculous hits that people are making. Well, so the weapon that I, that I, that stood out to me in that, and it, it stood out because it was the only thing that I, I really, really distinctly remembered as being like unique to the first tribes is the a weapon they call the disc launcher that, is kind of like a combination. It's, I mean, it's kind of like a rocket launcher, basically. It's shooting a, an explosive projectile, but it moves. It, it moves like as slow as a grenade would, except it moves in a straight line like a rocket would. So okay. it's kind of a blend of like a grenade launcher and a rocket launcher in that 
So people that were, it was really hard to be good with it because you had to lead your shots an incredible amount. And if the person changed directions, you know, you're just SOL kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it, it, but people that were good with it would just farm you with it. Because <laughs> I'm over here trying to use like the assault rifle, which takes multiple shots to kill people with. And if someone can get a direct hit with a disc launcher, like you're in trouble. Yeah. So, um, well, and, and a yeah. lot of the movement in tribes kind of re- reminds me of like Titanfall, but again, mm-hmm. before Titanfall was a thing, like a lot mm-hmm. of the movement of like sliding and dashing is kind and the wall running and the jetpacks all kind of inspired by tribes. And a lot of people like I, I didn't get into tribes. I, I think I kind of always wanted to, but my computer was not very good during that era. <laughs> mm, yep. um, but I remember a lot of people really enjoying that game and, and I had no idea that it was existed in the same universe as a game that I grew up with. Otherwise I, I probably would have been more on board with trying to get in. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other side of that coin though, is there's, I mean, it's, it's purely um, a multiplayer game, right? There is no campaign. There is no right. story to, to glean. I mean, the lore. Yeah. And, and, Obviously, Overwatch is that, and Overwatch has a ton of lore, but Blizzard invests a lot in making those animated shorts and all that stuff, right. and Hi-Rez was not putting out that kind of stuff. But it was also, it was free to play, mm-hmm. and they sold they sold access to, to other, like, loadouts, basically. Okay, yeah. Um, is what you were buying, which I I always kind of thought was a... A little pay to winny. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is that a lot of them were very specialized. So, I, like, I remember one specifically was, like, a really heavy thing. I think it was called, like, the Juggernaut or something. But it's, like, a really heavy suit that's got a lot of armor and health and has, like, a grenade launcher or something on it. And so it was, like, it, you know, it's probably not the suit that you're going to use every match or something. So it's not entirely pay to win because it's not like right. you just see people only using that. Um but I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of. I would have rather seen them go just cosmetics, like we've seen more commonly in. But they were kind of early in the free to play space, honestly. Right, they were, um, especially in a, a as a shooter. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. For a. That's the thing that's so. It's it's crazy how commonplace free to play now is, um, and and just how like normal. It is as right. part of the gaming scene, but you know, ten or twelve years ago, which yeah, that's a long time. But either way, there wasn't something like that. Like there wasn't really free to play wow. games. There wasn't, and the the best, you know, it all started with like Facebook games, like Farmville mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I, kind of a sick free to play meant you pirated it, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and like I. I read something the other day or heard was listening to something. I don't remember exactly what, but it was a guy talking about how he had gotten his start. Oh, I know what it was. It was a, it was from the New York times. They were talking about this guy who's developed this facial recognition technology that's being used by law enforcement. Oh yeah. I I remember seeing some stuff on that, but like law enforcement's not, I think they're not like technically not supposed to be using it, Mm -hmm. but cops on their own still are because it's so powerful. Right. Because you can literally put a, a photo and it in traditional facial recognition technology, it has to be like a straight on good right. photo. And with this, it can be like kind of blurry off to the side, whatever. And it, it finds people and it's, right. it's pretty wild. 
anyway, he got his start as a developer uh, trying to make Facebook apps because that was a thing at one right. point. That was a huge actually... market. That was a massive market. <laughs> right. And now, I mean, any if I see – I'm not on Facebook that often anyway, but if I am and I see someone – like post something about a game it's like join my clan and get a free box like yeah and it's like who who's in who still does that like i remember what was not even animated just kind of flat web style games that were kind of like uh almost like clickers but not it kind of i guess the pre-clicker game were just these web games that you would generate mana or whatever and have heroes and I, i remember playing some dragon elves kind of-esque hero game i don't even remember exactly what it was or what i was doing but i remember it was through facebook that i that i played that and (laughs) yeah just interesting but but so i don't know i think maybe if if tribes would have been five years later uh it might still be it might have it might have been more successful because they might have had a better handle on how to appropriately market and monetize a free-to-play game and I think the gaming community was just is more willing to be comfortable with it. Right. Um, it's funny because I mean I remember when Farmville was a huge thing on Facebook, and everyone that I knew that was quote unquote like a hardcore real gamer or whatever you want to call it was like totally anti Farmville mm-hmm. and would never but even still look secretly at it. played it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I can only say that because I was one of those people. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I actually never did never did check it out. I was uh, vehemently against it because in the closet I liked growing carrots. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it turns out I love Stardew Valley. Right, like right. Virtual worlds or something. I don't stupid but anyway, so um But yeah, so I so back to uh, that was a complete diversion. <laughs> right. it, it's fine. Yeah, but back to um the, the metal tech universe and that kind of stuff. So I, yes, I am familiar with the tribes games and you had played earth siege. Yeah. So I played and, in fact, so earth siege and earth siege two, I played. And then those of course were the same earth siege two happens after earth siege one, huge step up in graphics. Actually you could like, there was a, a you could build a flying unit cause there were flying units in the first one, but you couldn't pilot them. They were just bad guys. Uh, they were really annoying. But in the second one, you could eventually kind of capture one and, and restructure it and rebuild it and make your own. Like a, a lot of the the concept or the game loop of that game wasn't just mech fighting, but it was you're like a ragtag group of humans, so you don't have a lot of resources. So part of your fighting was getting scrap. So you didn't want to completely destroy an enemy mech. You mm. wanted to, you know take out a leg or a foot or something and that way you could get all the scrap and the weapons that it had and stuff because then you could build your own mechs and use their weapons against them and stuff so you wanted to not destroy everything you ran into um but yeah so the, the first and the second game earth siege earth siege 2 earth siege 2 is definitely my favorite because you could fly around um but that was only 96 and that was pretty ahead of its time as far as full 3d flight i mean Flight sims existed, but not a lot of battle flight sims, and definitely not of. There may be some Red Baron and type stuff out there, maybe an F fourteen Tomcat game, but not a lot right. outside of that. So that was a big deal for me. Um, but then there were two other games, which when I was doing the research, I was like, I've played both of those and did not know that they were Metal Tech. So that maybe they just didn't do a good job of. <laughs> tying their lore together or maybe i was just oblivious as a kid 
Right. But those were Mission Force Cyberstorm and Cyberstorm 2 Corporate Wars. And I remember playing the second one more than the first. I remember being a little frustrated with it. It's funny because so Earth Siege got me into tabletop war games because mm-hmm. I got a copy of a City Tech box set for Christmas, which had which is Mech Warrior Universe and had miniatures in it. So it so yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is isn't BattleTech originally a miniatures game? Yes. They yeah. then also make into video games, right. but really, really, it started as a miniatures game and a book, like Warhammer, a, a book series. Yeah, it was it was a lot like Warhammer. Lots of books that went with it. But so Earth Siege introduced me to giant robots, which introduced me to BattleTech, which introduced me to reading sci-fi. It basically was the whole reason why I started reading sci-fi. I was a mm-hmm. fantasy kid, like dragons knights magic you know fantasy young adult fantasy novels were my jam and then i played earth siege and we went to the library and i found a BattleTech book and they are or a, yeah battle tech book and i remember in the back of those they always had the kind of 80s style ink artwork of like the different robots the different mechs and stuff and just incredible artwork. And I remember, uh, you know, getting into a ton of like I Am Jade Falcon was probably my my favorite uh, MechWarrior book as a kid. And probably a little bit above my age <laughs> bracket, to be fair. But my dad let me read a lot of adult fiction, which was really awesome. Um, but yeah, so that introduced me to giant robots and sci-fi kind of in general, which introduced me to the tabletop game, which I didn't really get to play a lot of as a kid, but I tried. Uh, But then that comes back to Cyberstorm, which is a hexagon-based, turn-based mech game that played more like the board games of the Battletech universe. So it's kind of... Earth Siege is definitely, and Metaltech is inspired by Battletech as originally being kind of a 3D game in a time when Battletech... I think there was a 3D Battletech, but it was horrible... Mm. And I remember being like, I played Earth Siege, and it was way better than this. Because I remember somebody trying to show me Battletech, and I was like, no, 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 Earth Siege is amazing. This is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I was PC Master Race from a very young era. <laughs> nice. But but Cyberstorm, the Cyberstorm series, was very much so a recreation of a board game style that where you have multiple mechs deployed on the battlefield, turn-based strategy where you select one and move it to a daria and select which guys attack who and stuff and and i so i had no idea they were made by the same company and all part of the same universe very different games uh but i remember loving the artwork in them as well and uh and that kind of brings us around to so so there are four games by dynamics that i played um which is why I kind of, when I was doing the research, I brought up Tribes to you, which I thought was interesting that you were like, oh yeah, I'm playing Tribes. And then you're like, aren't they owned by Hi-Rez now? I was like, oh yeah, they are. And at that same time that I was asking you that question, you were playing a Hi-Rez game, right? Yeah, I actually, uh, I went over to a buddy's house on the week over the weekend and he was, when I got there, he was playing Smite, um, which is a MOBA, <laughs> uh, which I know. So, I don't know if this is entertaining for anyone other than you and me, but so he's, he's, he's showing me smite and he's like, have you ever played this? And I was like, I tried it out a couple of years ago because 
for anyone that doesn't know, Smite is is a MOBA, but it's like a uh, it's not an isometric view in the right. way that most MOBAs are. It's it's a fully three D rendered over the shoulder, basically, or third person camera. So it looks much more like playing an MMO. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little different because there's not tab targeting like there is in most right. MMOs. You have to aim, kind of. The aiming's pretty forgiving, but um, but anyway, so and I and and so he was like, "Have you ever played this?" And I was like, "Oh, I tried it out." Because the only MOBA I've really spent a lot of time with is Heroes of the Storm. Okay. Well, the reason that I liked Heroes of the Storm is because it strips out all of the complexity of MOBA. <laughs> all there's the things no... that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, well, and all the things that I think other people do like. Right. Because there's no vendors. There's not even individual experience in Heroes of the Storm. Everyone levels together. Last hitting really isn't a huge deal. I don't even think there is. Right. It's just simply if you kill the creep, it gives you money. But mm-hmm. there's not a benefit to getting the last hit on it right instead of one of your creeps doing it um and and honestly i think smite is actually kind of similar in that way like i think smite might give you the most credit for a last hit but it doesn't track last hits as a stat like league of legends right. and dota um but anyway so a couple of years ago i had tried smite and i was like oh this looks great i think i'm gonna like this and it's kind of a cool premise it's um it's like gods from all different cultures in the world are what make up the heroes or champions, if you will, of Smite. So you get, you know, you can play as Ares or Zeus, but then there's also like, there's a dude named Baron Samedi, which I only remember from Goldeneye because he was the guy <laughs> that had the golden gun. That's right. In and I was like, what? But I but I guess he's a, uh, you know, actually a, of cultural significance somewhere in the world. I don't remember where it said, right. but it shows you where the heroes are from. Oh, that's cool. Uh, another game series that I've talked about previously on the episodes and that I'm a huge fan of is Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Right. Um, there's a one of the most popular characters, and that's a character named Guan Yu. He's one of the hero god characters you can oh, play awesome. as in Smite. So it's it's kind of a cool lore concept. Um Anyway, when I played a couple years ago, I started and then immediately there was an item shop and money and all that. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't care about learning any of this. I'm so out. And then I bailed and, and never looked back. All of that was a long-winded story to get to. My buddy says, have you ever played this? And I start to explain my position on MOBAs. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what your position on MOBAs is. And I was like, oh, I've told you this all before. And he was like, no, I've just listened to the podcast. And about <laughs> well, thank it. you. So I just, thank you, listener. Like, yeah, and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> that's the first time that that's happened, and I felt kind of guilty still for bringing up something I had already said, even though I didn't know. <laughs> you I didn't say it directly to them. Right, but I did in their world, right? But anyway, um, so I saw him playing it, and he was playing with some buddies, and I was like, yeah, it looks kind of fun. I'll give it a shot. And so I came home later that day and downloaded it. And uh, I think I played for three or four hours. It was not like I no-lifed it for the whole weekend or something. But yeah, it was actually a pretty good time. Um, it does still have all the complexity of a MOBA that I don't want. However, and I'm sure if you're going to be competitive, this is not viable. Right. But it has a feature that's on by default where it will auto-buy items from the shop for you nice. and auto-level up your character and level the different abilities as it thinks, you know, the best optimal path is. Um, again, if you're actually playing competitively, that probably doesn't work. Yeah, it's probably not the most optimal, but it's, well, it's probably also, standard meta type stuff. If you see your opponent is building in way X, then you right. might build way Y to counter that. 
and with what I'm doing, none of that is, you know, viable. It just but keeps I you in the no idea. Right. Yeah. Um, but I didn't just get farmed. I actually was able to participate. I won games. I lost some games too, of course. But um, yeah, it was it was a good time. And yeah, it was incredibly random. A that I was playing Smite at all, and B that it was by high res, which you were then looking into. Well, and because I, I remember, I remember the conversation because I saw on Discord. And it was like, you know, I had sent the message like, hey, do you know anything about tribes? And I was also like, Smite? Really? Like, isn't that a MOBA? Like, <laughs> what is somebody, is this Walker at the PC? You know, do you have a friend over playing or something? Like, <laughs> well, so what's what's funny about that? And, you know, because we're talking about tribes and I was just talking about how if it had come out later, maybe it would have succeeded or whatever. Well, when I was playing Smite, you messaged me in surprise. Well, another buddy of mine that plays Destiny 2, uh, he saw me on Smite. And he pinged me and was like, really, Smite? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a good time. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I just can't get behind it because Hi-Rez stopped, publish- or stopped investing in tribes to focus all of their resources into Smite. So he feels like Smite like stole tribes. <laughs> Smite or whatever smited was- tribes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was interesting too and and I, I when he said that i was like oh yeah i kind of remember that being part of their announced logic whenever they said they weren't going to continue to to host tribe right. server ever um but i hadn't i had forgotten that detail entirely so so yeah it's it, a strange series of synchronicities that we right yeah <laughs> it all it all kind of synced up and it was just like apparently this has a lot more influence in my life than i gave it credit for <laughs> right, especially right. The, i mean outside of smite that like the metal tech universe like i i was aware that earth siege is what got me into giant robots i wasn't aware that four of their games were gate five really were games that i played that were in the same universe that were all part of that kind of growing up and i yeah it and and even now to this day like high res like i i was pretty big into paladins which is yeah, thank you yes i forgot that we'd even also discuss that <laughs> yeah Paladins is kind of like an Overwatch competitor. It I mean, is, yeah. To explain it. I think they're they were basically kind of developed at the same time. There's a lot of when when I don't know which one came out first or whatever, but there was a lot of community versus community between Paladins and Overwatch because there's a lot of similar characters, but the abilities are in different characters. And some were like, "Well, obviously, Paladin stole everything from Overwatch," but then unique characters that were in paladin's launch profile later became character like there were things where color schemes and character archetypes were picked up by overwatch that had definitely existed in palette like provable so there was the left hand stole from the right in many ways and i'm sure it, neither one of those games were developed a in a vacuum and b in like a couple of weeks they were in development for years so Having... Yeah, I mean, Overwatch is the failed Titan project, right? right? So, yeah. So I'm sure uh, there was a lot of idea, not necessarily intended sharing, but there there are some similarities between the two, and and I think that that just happens in games, whether it's intended uh, or not. I think it does, and I think it's. I mean, certainly it could be serendipitous, but I think it largely is intended. I mean, look at every FPS now, including Call of Duty has a battle royale mode. Right. The new Call of Duty is getting ready in I think in March coming up to release um a standalone modern warfare based, which is the the most recent edition of Call of Duty, 
um, Battle Royale that's free to play. You don't have right. to own Modern Warfare in order to, to download and access this Battle Royale. So, I mean, that was Battlefield Five. They have a Battle Royale mode every. Well, it's definitely a thing of like if you want to play the teleporting character and the teleporting characters in X game and not Y game, you're playing game X. Right, yeah, right. I mean, isn't Paladin free to play though? It it is now. Um, I'm not sure if when I originally started playing, I'm trying to remember if I did pay up front or not because there was like- there was some there were some issues because they they did free to play in several different ways. They kind of mm-hmm. went through every different free to play, and as they went through it, they they transitions to the worst model as the word like i i remember because before before they were they might have been like more of a league of legends model if they're not i think i actually paid like 30 bucks to get access to like everything and that was fine and then they went to like a league of legends model where you could buy by character and then they went to a league that the more modern league of legends model which is like buy by skin which that everybody was pretty okay with but then they introduced loot boxes that included Mm. cards that you could it was almost like a hearthstone kind of deal where you could dust them and you could make any card technically but you got Mm. them all from loot boxes and they allowed you to change your character so there was some min maxing and some and that was right at the height of the loot boxes are evil like movement and so they got a lot of grief for that and then i think they went to a battle pass type thing right as battle passes were getting a bunch of griefs i don't know what their model is now but (laughs) i played pretty heavily for a while much closer to release because i had half a dozen buddies that played with um but i haven't played a lot since so i'm not sure where they are now on that yeah i mean i think battle pass is kind of the new standard um for it's kind of replaced loot boxes largely i mean not in every single game but i mean even Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Destiny Two is has a battle pass. All oh, right. I mean, they don't call it that. I right. Think they call it season pass, but but it's it's literally and it's got the two tracks where there's a free track and then if you've paid, then there's a premium track that you unlock simultaneously. And I almost just wish we could go back to subscriptions because at least <laughs> then you're guaranteed all of the content. You don't have to play every day for the month to not miss out on something like. They're expecting you to know life their game as the only game, and then nobody burns out. Yeah, I read an article, actually, I think it was maybe in PC Gamer, where the, that, the writer was talking about that, about how he, at first, he loved the idea of the Battle Pass, because it's it's not a loot box, right? right. It's not RNG, you know, you, you know what you're going to get kind of thing. Um, but he was he was lamenting that as well, that the problem is, is that the developers are kind of trying to pigeonhole you into only playing their game only. And exactly what you just said, it just leads to burnout. Just what we talked about last week in our episode, right? Um, So it kind of leads to burnout, but, and what that's doing is causing players to just never come back. Like once they get burnt, they're just done. Whereas with at least like a monthly sub model, I can stop my subscription, come back in six months, resub, and I get access to everything that I missed, right? Like, for the yeah. large part, in a, in a lot of games, that's yeah. largely true, is you're going to, maybe you have to go replay through it or pick back up or whatever, but you can still earn and unlock that. Where if I leave, you know, a, 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 a Fortnite for six months and come back, I've just missed six months of battle passes that I can't, maybe I might get to re-earn some of that content through some other, you know, 
skin of the month type thing or something. But for the most part, I'm not going to ever get to see any of that again. Well, and that's what's what's interesting is that it basically is. I mean, the, people don't like subscriptions because they're like, I don't want to pay 15 bucks a month to play that. Except that if you buy the battle pass every time it comes out, right. it's, that's what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's 10, but whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, it's funny because I'm very much, um, I'm not a big microtransaction purchaser. Right. Like I don't buy skins. Uh, it's, it's, it's rare that I spend money on microtransactions, but I'm more than willing to pay subscriptions and MMOs, you know, all day long. Like that doesn't, I, that does that's not a sticking point for me at all. If I'm interested right. to play, I'll pay the sub. But it's funny because I think it's just a matter of like kind of getting used to it too. Like I remember whenever we first found EverQuest uh, and I, I remember me and my buddies making fun of just the concept of like, really, you're going to pay up front for the game and then every month you keep paying? Like that sounds crazy. And What, are you going to pay for Mario every month that you play it? Like, Right, right. And, and so we for a long time we're hesitant to try them and obviously that's my biggest gaming addiction is mmos now but um but yeah it took a while and and eventually one of our buddies was like yeah i'm just gonna try it you get a free month when you buy it if i don't like it i won't pay anymore if i do and i think it's worth it then i'll think it's worth it so whatever and yeah once we once we once we cracked that door we kind of never went back i still think and i'm surprised by with as many endorsements and and campaigns that are tied together like call of duty and totinos and mountain dew or whatever that slash pizza still hasn't returned as a thing in any other game i believe it was in everquest 2 for a while uh-huh. in 2004 when it released yep i thought that was the most for those that aren't aware you could set up slash pizza one, two, and three as an emote that was directly tied to a specific pizza order. I think a Pizza Hut. Yeah, it was a Pizza Hut or Domino's, I think, one of the two there. But it was tied to a specific order, and it had your house address and everything. It would schedule it for delivery. You had three different pizzas that you could basically macro in and say what toppings you wanted, if you wanted a drink or you know, twist or whatever. And yeah, you could just, while you were playing, type slash pizza – and it would schedule it up for delivery and you'd have it at your house. And like, that is the most genius. Like you still have to go to Walmart to buy the Totino's pizza to get the code to add in the game for the free rifle skin. Right? Like <laughs> this is, this is just, let's get straight to the point. You're going to stay home and play. You don't want to make dinner. Pizza Hut's got you, you know, or Domino's, right. whatever. Like I'm surprised right. that that is not just more of a thing and it'll charge it to your game account right like it'll just add ten dollars to this month's sub fee and yeah yeah no that it it it, it, it's interesting how um you know in the modern whatever the modern era is i mean obviously now it's 2020 but in 2010 these similar sentiments existed but it's like whatever moment in time you find yourself in it feels like technology that we have now is unlike anything we've had before mm-hmm. or, or groundbreaking beyond what we've had. And it's, it's just not always the case. I mean, there are certainly technology always improves and right. things are different, but like, like when mass effect came out, the, this idea of this like story driven RPG with all these great cutscenes and this crew of characters or whatever, it, to be fair, yes, it is different, but, it's actually kind of a throwback to the Wing Commander games it that you really is. Before. It's it's kind of Wing Commander meets Halo. Yes, um, but yeah, but I don't know. But like, we don't 
no, I never, I've never heard, I never heard anyone drawing those comparisons between Mass Effect and Wing Commander when Mass Effect was a huge deal. It's just interesting to see. Now there are other things like Virtual Boy, which are wildly different than if you own an Oculus Rift. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Some it, of the technology <laughs> did jump. Um, I still, I, and this is, I'm give, freely giving this idea to Nintendo. I still believe that because of the Switch's form factor, it's the best candidate to re-release the Virtual Boy as a mounting plate for like a like a Google Cardboard sort of thing, a plastic mm-hmm. mounting plate for the Switch. It already slides in, so like it's got mounting rails. Just chuck it in there to a faceplate, do the split screen, do it you know as a, a virtual reality headset, and while you're at it, bring back the Super Scope. And the power glove. I was just going to say the power glove could work in VR too. They right. could totally do because you've got now you've got hand control. Individual fingers can be manipulated. You've got the side mm-hmm. controller and some additional buttons on the back, like and then the super scope, which was again as somebody who never owned an SNES but envied the friends that did and got to play some of the games. Like the super scope was just the coolest thing because it was like a bazooka, but it could also it had multiple parts, so it was kind of like a Nerf gun that you could like swap pieces out on. Like, just combine the super scope with the light gun with, you know, and make some kind of Nerf-esque rifle that I can swap pieces out on, throw it all into virtual reality to where I can see those pieces on the ground in my game because they have a Bluetooth or an IR signal on them. So if I look down, I can see the rifle barrel or whatever and swap it out. Give me a power glove. Give me a VR. I would buy every bit of like thousands of dollars in Nintendo hardware to live out that dream of being the kid who that got to own the super scope and the virtual boy like, and the power glove, like right. turn me into actual items because it would be wildly disappointing if you were to grab those up. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and, and God, what was the movie? The, the, the like, the, was it Mr. Wizard? No. Oh uh, yeah, I think so. It, where he had um, the power glove and that transported him to a fantasy world. And yeah. Yeah. Like, just make that into a game. Just, just leech all of my nostalgia away. Just jack in and just suck out all my nostalgia and sell it back to me for two grand and I will happily buy it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not alone. Um, so uh, just a weird tie-in to what the conversation we were having. So I was, I was looking at the games that Hi-Rez has developed and, and you know has come out with or whatever. So, of course, our conversation went into like how, you know, kind of the comparison between fantasy and sci-fi uh, and we talked about the the, the the Battle Royale genre. Well, the most recent game that they have released is Realm Royale, which is a Battle Royale game with a fantasy theme. <laughs> so you can, like, ride horses and you look like a knight or a wizard or whatever, but it's still actually just a Battle Royale right. shooter. just like, you know, PUBG or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so there you go with the copycat stuff again. Uh, yeah. Like, we could make a battle royale, and what if it was different with oh, some fantasy? Oh, what if there was a horse? Well, so I, something that you mentioned before that I wanted to ask you, I guess, to, to maybe elaborate on a bit. Sure. Because it's interesting that you say you started as a fantasy person. Mm-hmm. Because as long as I've known you, which is, I don't know, 10 or more years now, I mean, a long time, I don't associate fantasy with you at all. I think of you exclusively as a sci-fi fan now i know you have played some fantasy titles and it's not like you absolutely hate it or something right. but yeah I think, 
I think of you as as future sci-fi time. And if I think of you getting into anything that looks to the past, it's like steampunk. Yeah. So it's like still, it's like an old version of high tech. Right. <laughs> or, There's still some tech there. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, what, where do you find yourself landing with that? Do you, are you just not really intrigued by fantasy games or? I mean, so I, I, I definitely was like, I remember like heroes of might and magic four, three, probably three, three is the, I think their most popular one. Ever. Uh, all I remember is there was a black dragon in it. That was like one of the most powerful monsters you could get. <laughs> um, but I was big into like Heroes of Might and Magic. I mean, one of the it, while Earth Siege was one of the first kind of close to a shooter or shooter esque style games that I had played. Um, Warcraft was my first strategy game. That's what yeah. ruined it. Is Warcraft three? Well, no, That's no, I, I don't think because Warcraft three is way later. <laughs> That's like junior high, high school. I actually probably dumped out of fantasy pre junior, so like six fifth sixth grade somewhere probably about sixth seventh grade i think a lot of it was social too like i remember i was i had a group of friends that we all like drew comics and and we were all kind of small gang of rogue artist kind of kids you know and Mm -hmm. and when warcraft was out we were all drawing orcs and dragons and i mean dragons were just cool as a kid you know and and a lot of the books that i had access to a lot of young adult fiction even up into like Dragonlance style novels and stuff that kind of bordering on adult fiction um and there were uh, most of the like kind of sci-fi games that were out either i enjoyed but didn't direct because like i was definitely more of a fantasy kid that liked sci-fi so i was much more I wish they would make a really cool movie, The Dragons, um, before Dragon Dragon Heart was like my favorite movie for a long time. And like Star Wars was cool, and I liked Star Wars, but there wasn't a lot. And I like I liked Babylon Five, but also for some reason that I kind of just associated sci-fi with that's more of my dad's thing. Like, and so I think some of it was like, well, fantasy's my thing, you know, and and I can kind of own that and love. And I, I don't know, I was a kid that like my I remember like seven seven my seventh birthday party ish i had like a dragon cake quote unquote but it was one of those cakes that was like a small loaf of bread that was covered in 10 pounds of icing airbrushed to look like a dragon Ah. and but it was like my favorite thing ever and everything was dragons dragons and heroes and knights and magic was a lot of my thing as a kid until about the time that earth siege came out and I got into the Mech Warrior books, um, which also had all of the artwork in the back that I started. And it was a lot of it was like kind of blueprint style. So there was like a front view and a side view, which was way easier for me to draw as a kid because I was not a perspective. I, I never grasped perspective very well. Um, thank you, dual astigmatisms. But <laughs> depth is a very strange beast to me. <laughs> mm. But um, but I could draw front like rectangles and kind of triangles and simple shapes that looked really complex. And so I started adopting that art style, introduced it to some of my friends who then 
were also into Battletech and maybe Gundam and stuff and were kind of anime influenced where I wasn't and also started going. So I kind of popularized starting to draw like that. Now that everybody else drew way better than me and whatever, I probably <laughs> wanted to rebel against sci-fi too, but, um, <laughs> but it was, it, it definitely kind of, I don't know, made me socially cool for a while, but like, oh, dragons are a kid's thing. Like giant metal robots with doom lasers are like, they're cool now because dragons are kids like dragons. I don't like dragons. I like giant robots, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, some trying to vie for hierarchy in <laughs> the nerd social culture of the mid nineties was probably <laughs> a large portion of my switch to sci-fi. Sure. Yeah. I was just curious. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think I, I don't know. I would, I would say I like both equally uh, and maybe that's an unfair, you know, on the fence kind of thing or something. I don't know. But um, I, so like the mass effect games are interesting because they are obviously sci-fi games, but they actually incorporate basically a magic system. Now right. it's not called magic. It's, it's like telekinesis or something like that, you know, some mental thing. But it's it's basically magic. You create black holes out of nothing. Right. And, you know, shoot people across the room. It's like the force almost or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, you know, I, I enjoy that kind of blend of the two. I guess, right. I guess, arguably, since I just said the force, I guess Star Wars I should be a bigger fan of than I am. <laughs> because it's a perfect blend of fan, you know, magic and, and science science fiction. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I I really enjoy um i guess it's probably because i like mmos so much and most mmos are fantasy mmos i mean not all certainly but that's you know the majority of them i think i was introduced to fantasy now i I remember playing this game called shining force for the sega genesis that's like a turn-based like a tactics um rpg that's fantasy based right but other than like, I didn't play Final Fantasy as a kid. I didn't play many Final Fantasies as a kid either. Um, what was the one? Gaunt? Did you play Gauntlet as a kid? Mm, yes, not as a kid. I played it at least. I mean, maybe once or something. Right. But no, most of my experience with Gauntlet was when it was actually on the Nintendo sixty four. Um, one of our one of my buddies had it, and we would play it in high school. Right. I don't know. I, um, I remember like. Now, I, I came back to fantasy, like, in junior high, because that's when I got well, into, like, Diablo. Right, right. Diablo. I, like- I, I think I've always liked, but, I, but like, when I played, I loved Wing Commander, and we owned, like, every single Wing Commander game except the very first one. Um, but when, like, when I played those, it, it didn't make me want to go watch Star Wars. Mm, yeah, right? that's fair. Like, and it was—it's a sci-fi space shooter in like dogfighting style game, um, but it, it didn't kind of give. But like, I think there was just there also wasn't as much media for good sci-fi. Like, I I wanted a giant ro- like there was Robot Jocks was like the only movie that had giant robots in it, and that movie was terrible. <laughs> Right. And so I like I was really fiending for that kind of media, which is why I think I, I looked for it in video. It's way easier to find in video games, you know. Um, 
any kind of robots and sci-fi type stuff. But I, I think I also, as much as like you, you talked about like my, how you see me like in steampunk and stuff. I remember, cause there is a lot of magic in sci-fi, a la star Wars kind of mass effect sort of thing, but very rarely is there sci-fi in fantasy, which like, I, I always thought it would be really cool if like, like kind of, in the way that Doom has, like, cyber demons, like, carrying mm-hmm. that over into, like, instead of telling the story of two universes that are about to collide, like, oh, our reality's crashing into theirs. Like, what happens 20 years later when, like, a, a duplex is also half mage tower? Like, like right. and, and a tank is half dragon. And, you know, like just merge those things in some there that that coalescence really doesn't happen the closest that you get is kind of a steampunk sort of thing but you don't get a full futurist like there the the only thing that i do that i have seen that which is funny because it goes back to is is D, where there is a D module where you can find a spaceship in like the the bottom of a volcano or something but it's legit a, a spaceship with like a warp drive and everything on it. And you can rebuild it and go into space as D and D characters. And then there's, it turns into future time where it's spaceships fighting against each other while you're a wizard. Like, but I, I've just always wanted that more along that kind of line, which I think is why I like steampunk and, and Adam punk and stuff like that, but it's not quite there. Right, right. That's what I was going to say is I guess probably the biggest place where you still are very heavily into fantasy over anything else is D&D, mm-hmm. right? Because when you do D&D campaigns, those are all oh, yeah. high fantasy. All high fantasy campaigns. And I usually yeah. high magic, high fantasy. I don't I don't really get down on the more mundane style like uh like Lord of the Rings, I guess is a little bit more mon- mundane where magic is very rare and yeah. You know, I'm very much so like everybody's got magic. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, well, so in D&D, you know, I, I had shared this, I don't know if it was on an episode or not, I know I've told you about it, but a long time ago I played, a, it wasn't D&D, but it was a, it was a, a RPG game like that where there's a book and you look up stuff and make a character and whatever. Right. And we were basically making like superhero characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't like the Justice League or something. Right. We weren't a part of some organization, but... Um, but so why do you why do you not go towards those instead and not just superheroes but I mean that's something that's not fantasy that's that right. style of game. I think man that's a that's a solid question. So I mean I played a tiny bit of Werewolf in my college years um which is more modern. I think that there's a lot of issues. So like superhero you can do and I I I have kind of wanted to play in one of those. I mean it's hard to find a good role playing group that I kind of willing mm, to engage with to begin with and then finding yeah. one that also plays a niche game is, is a lot harder i mean D just is kind of the bread and butter of the of the rpc that makes sense but i think that there there comes a difficulty in playing like there are versions that use the d they call it d20 base rules but the D third edition rules essentially were released copyright free so just the core kind of the physics of the game, if you will, without all the fantasy, was released open source. And there were some people that took that and made, 
modern and futuristic styles of D&D using the core rules from from the third 3.5 versions. Um, and I own most of those books. I, I have played through some future tech games and some modern games. The, the funny thing that happens with those, though, that you don't have happen in a lot of fantasy games is it's actually really hard to make it fantastical enough that you don't need money because modern world money ruins D&D because of credit cards. Mm. Like the whole D20 modern system actually had to switch to a, what they call it like a wealth system where you basically have to roll to see if you can buy something based on how wealthy you are because in the writing of those rules when they were playtesting it, Somebody was like, well, I'm just going to go get 10 credit cards and max them all out, but I'm a wizard, so watch them come after me, you know, like, and mm-hmm. then he's like, all right, well, fine, well, now you have monthly bills, and you're electric and a landlord, and, you know, like, none of that is fun, that's, we're not playing, we're playing this game to get away from all of that. <laughs> right. So, like, modern right. money messes with, like, modern and futuristic scenarios in a way that kind of gold, that, like, you're kind of meant to become a hero of the realm where you can give a bartender a, a gold piece or the equivalent of a hundred dollars for a beer and just be lavishly like extravagant or whatever. Uh, you can play a more hardcore survival game where you're all peasants and nobody makes money and you have to, you know, find roots and vegetables to, to survive. But it, it leans itself towards like, yeah, money kind of matters, but at a certain point it really doesn't unless you want, some artifact and then you need 10,000 gold you know right but hmm. modern and future games are very like in a future game you could be like yeah a starship's gonna cost you like 500 million space credits or whatever but the, right. it's still like okay but what about just a, a standard assault rifle like can i just get that like it, it, so i don't know I, I i've played it i've played a few i've dabbled they also just i don't know i think fantasy is easier to imagine and harder to put into media at least for like mo- like i find that most movies and tv shows shows do fantasy bad like there is yet to be a good D movie outside of the critical role kickstarter that made a billion dollars <laughs> which i'm very hyped for but like there's not been a good D movie yeah well and to your point i mean honestly the 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 popular shows and movies that people would point to are the two most popular would be as mo- as a movie would be game or uh, Lord of the Rings, and as a show would be Game of Thrones, and both of those are are universes or whatever you want to say, in which like you already said the the magic is highly suppressed. It's very you know Gandalf doing you shall not pass is like a huge deal right. because no one ever does anything like that. And in Game of Thrones, it's kind of the same thing. Like there's different moments where pe- where people use magic for different things, and it's very shocking right. because. That's not the world largely. Um, and even so, I think that the, like the Witcher probably gets a lot closer to what I would want out of a series where magic is a little bit more common and, and it's shown more, which yeah. is it's strange because it's not like the special effects don't exist for it. And it's funny because I think that it's kind of the opposite in games where a lot of games use sci-fi as more of a backdrop and don't leverage it. Whereas movies you have Star Trek, Star Wars, Babylon 5, and, and it's it's so hilarious to me because, it, to, in my mind, it takes so much more effort to make these amazing technical, physical, and computer-generated special effects of, like, full starship models in galactic combat, and it feels like a whole space scene 
and it's all recorded with a green screen and miniatures and stuff and miniature explosions like Independence Day type where it's a miniature but it's a three foot tall Empire State Building exploding you know like that's so much more to me to to make than like magic it doesn't even have to be a fireball it could just be a a orb of light like it's a fuzzy smudge on the the film that projects out you know like it doesn't and yet it's still like to me it's it's so much easier to make fantasy elements i mean granted dragons are a lot harder to do right but that even seemed to be pretty good by the time sean connery was voice acting in them so yeah and the game of thrones dragons are pretty good yeah so i mean it's like smog's a a good rendition like it can be done but it's just so i find it weird but then in like video games all of the fantasy stuff all of the spells and the magic and the you know even like graveyard keeper has mystical elements like stardew valley has some kind of a little bit of voodoo in the background kind of thing and like and it's not but but then in, in the sci-fi games the tech is largely a backdrop like halo is barely a sci-fi it feels like more like a call of duty than it does like a sci-fi it's got aliens but it's kind of call of duty with aliens than it is right even though the actual lore is that you're in this like 800 pounds mech right suit, yeah like and, you're yeah. A, a genetically engineered god in a robo suit like you're iron you man shoot out of space <laughs> right you land on the planet survive and, a fall yeah. yeah through yeah hmm. so i don't know I, I always found that kind of strange and i think that there's an interesting dichotomy between where i want to absorb my sci-fi and where it is and where i want to absorb my fantasy and where it is <laughs> So I have one final, um, and I'm not trying to like quiz you or something, but I have one final question in this vein, and you're welcome to elaborate as much as you want, or you know, just say one or the other. Um, but do you think you prefer Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40k? 40k, like, and that's what I've always thought. Yeah, because I, that, I actually, like, but I started, I started in <laughs> fantasy. Like, I liked, I liked the artwork and the miniatures of the fantasy more, but I actually hated the way the rules were structured. Cause when I got into Warhammer fantasy, they were still done by battle trays, which meant that you needed like 20 of the same guy in a little rectangle and the whole rectangle moved forward as a unit. So it, it played a lot more like, um, um, what's the, the game that I just played recently. That was Warhammer fantasy with the orcs and, when it was work uh, game time and game, total the total war. war. Yeah. The total war game where it's a oh. unit of units. The total war right. games actually are a really good representation of what Warhammer fantasy battle played out. Like, hmm. um, where you would equip a whole trade now in, in 40 K you still equip a whole squad, but they're all individual models that you move kind of separately and can change their location. They have to remain so close to each other, but they didn't fit all on a square tray or something. Right. And I didn't like the square tray idea. Cause it, it stressed my marginal funding as a 14 year old miniatures collector. Um, but the, the 40 K stuff was individual models. So I could buy them two at a time and still feel like I was making progress. Um, yeah, I think overall I like the Warhammer fantasy is not nearly as dark and gritty as 40 K is. I mean, not to call it whimsical because it's not quite that either, but it's, it, it see like the green skins in Warhammer fantasy are just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still vicious and they still do brutal things and they, you know, they're still dangerous, but they're also kind of just funny because right. they're so ridiculous, you know? Um, I mean, in 40 K they double down on that, but they double down on it in the way that like 
if a if a B movie had a triple A budget would double down on it, right? Like mm. it, it and just a lot of the other content is a lot more fighting for survival against the grim darkness of the future sort of thing. Where in, in Warhammer Fantasy it's like it's kind of like everybody on Earth just fighting wars because we want to fight. We want that territory or whatever, you know. Well, so you may know this. So I didn't real. I read just a couple of days ago. Um, I guess the Warhammer storyline is like over. Like they officially can like brought it to a forty k. Um, I mean, so yeah, it is. I guess it's technically kind of forty one k now, um, or forty two k ish. I I so I haven't. I have been tracking some because I still keep my thumb on the pulse of of miniature hobby but i am not as deeply involved in it as i used to be um i mostly still like the miniatures and wish that i could afford to collect them and spray paint them with not spray paint but airbrush them with like color changing like for anybody out there do do a two color uh uh chameleon highlight airbrush on tau give me like green and purple or purple and pink two-tone tau with like black undertones i just that's my dream is to be able to collect and and really paint mm. some exquisite but i i as and the lore is still kind of good but i am actually not that huge into like the 40k fantasy books and everything but i know they just went through or are in the middle of a massive rebrand where all of the races like the eldar are no longer the eldar they're the eldari and it's also like the psychic awakening so uh, that i know is kind of going on where the chaos gods are pouring through big time and everybody is getting psychers now, which is upsetting the universe greatly. Cause that's, it's basically the idea of like magic used to be rare. And now it's not is now mm. psychers used to be rare. And now your next door neighbor can have telekinesis. So like that's upsetting the universe. It's happening against all of the races, which is changing them all differently. It, it makes orcs more power. It makes everybody more powerful. But as far as like that, I, I don't know if that's, coming to a conclusion or not i mean there's yeah well no what i read the guy was he was and again i, I you know i didn't read what he I, I read what this guy wrote but i didn't read what he's referencing right right um but he was he was at least the way i understood it in reading what he had written was that like like the the, the universe just ends at some point like there's just a finality to it and that, like, it, it's because what he was writing about is that he appreciates that in 40K, like, it's all kind of for naught. Like, it's kind of a hopeless war right. that they're trying to fight, but yet they still sacrifice and still try. And just kind of, you know, the implications of that. Um, anyway, all of that was just to say, I thought it was an, an interesting, I thought it was interesting if that's actually, my understanding is correct, that it that they would have written some sort of grand conclusion to it. And now that there couldn't be more content made right. prior to that ending time or something. I, but... I mean, I would actually be interested in that too. Cause there's a lot of, I, I mean, that brings up like, does the emperor return? Like does chaos win? What happens to, there's a lot of like, mm -hmm. what about all the craft worlds, which I mean, some of that is as far as I've read recently is all ongoing in the psychic awakening, but I don't know if there is already some mm -hmm. other grand conclusion outside of that. I, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what it was and, 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 yeah, I'll have to look up the article and I'll send it to you. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't remember the exactly where it was. Now I think I probably PC Gamer right. or something. something I, like that. I mean, to to, to kind of answer the question, though, I'm I'm definitely more 40k than than Fantasy Battle. Um, both lore and just the it's cool aliens. They got cool aliens. They got cool guns. Like that's yeah. awesome to me. Um, but in my 
I don't know. I just like certain content in certain ways. Like I, I definitely appreciate a good, like I like a good sci-fi movie. Like Avatar was fine, but like I want a good, I want a fantasy movie that is not Lord of the Rings. That is, I want the fantasy that is Star Wars in a fantasy setting. <laughs> like right, right. I get, instead of Jedi, give me wizards and and do that and have wizards versus wizards because like there's not a lot. There's like the epic battle of Saruman and and Gandalf, but like that's it. There's no. And it's not really I want counterspell. I want fireballs. I want raining meteors. Like I. And mm. just the magic of Hearthstone, like Wall of Fire, Blizzard, you know, like any... Yeah, or like in Diablo, like the Witch Doctor that has the, like, AoE pool of hands that comes right. up. Right, or jars of spiders or giant spiders that come out of the ground. And, like, I, I want that in a grand movie scene. And and I want <laughs> I want my... The, the awesome, you know, space battles of Star Wars in, in my PC games. Like... <laughs> Right, right. Um, well, this is definitely a throwback for anyone that's still with us from the, <laughs> the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I did look it up. The game that I was talking about that was, that came out for Xbox that was a mech game uh, that had the really complicated controller was called Steel Battalion. Yes, Steel Battalion. Yes, I... and it was a it was it was original Xbox. It came out in two thousand and two in North America. Um, and it had, a, this is just straight from the Wikipedia page, but the controller consists of 44 input points, mainly buttons, but also uses two joysticks, a throttle handle, a radio channel dial, five switches, <laughs> an eject button, and three foot pedals. Now, it does say citation needed right after that sentence, so I guess that could be incorrect, but that lines up pretty well with what my understanding of what that controller was. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just what a bizarre... <laughs> What a bizarre thing to exist on an Xbox. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I mean that was what? bizarre for a P- most PCs couldn't handle more than one joystick because they use the PCI slot, which was like your printer port. Mm-hmm. And was it the PCI? Uh oh. Yeah. Okay. okay. No. It, no it, oh, now I can't remember. It's close I know to that because PCI is like PCI Express for a video card. I parallel to, ports. Just... That's what it is. It was a parallel. Port. No, that's. That's actually what you plug a printer into. That, which is what you would plug a joystick into. Oh, in, oh okay. On an okay. old PC. Like, gotcha. Because no, no, I, fair, I remember right. we would have to unplug the printer to pr- plug in the, the joystick that we had as a, as a wingman controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I was thinking of the... I was thinking of a mouse and keyboard, which is called a PS2. Uh, yes. That's what okay. I thought we were talking about. You're right. I remember for Wing Commander having a joystick that I plugged into a parallel mm-hmm. port. You're absolutely right. And most right. computers did not have more than one. And you right. would need two right. and foot pedals. And I mean, nowadays I've seen some pretty extensive custom controllers for Kerbal, but that for right. an Xbox game, that was a lot, especially for one game. I know. Like, that was I like know. somebody being like, well, we can't sell, we don't want to make our own $600 gaming console to compete against Xbox and PlayStation. But if we make a three hundred dollar controller and it only works for our game, like maybe we can make more money that way. I don't even know what the logic behind that is. But a, a reviewer, this is again, this is from the Wikipedia page. A reviewer on IGN wrote, 
where Mech Assault and Robotech wouldn't let us into the cockpit, because I'm guessing they're like third-person control of the mech, Steel Battalion won't let us out. <laughs> $200 cost was for the controller and the game disc was free because it was 200 to buy the game and the controller together. That's insane. That's insane. in 2005 too. Right. That's not, that's not wow. Trump change. <laughs> so that's all for our episode today. Please join the discussion by tweeting your thoughts to us at PUYS pod or follow us there to get a notification on stream times. Check out the links below for many other ways of getting your thoughts to us from email to discord. We'd love to hear your thoughts or discuss them. If you like this episode, please do rate, star, thumbs up, or review us wherever you're listening. It really does make a difference. All the links will be available in the show notes, and if you want more of Walker's insights on pretty much everything in life not related to gaming, check out his other podcast, The Walk Show, which is everywhere podcasts are found.